According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent. Well, it's hard to breathe, to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right. <coughs> Goodness. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4 this morning. Proverbs chapter 4. We're moving on to our third section, verses 20 through 27. Ah. Okay. 20 through 27. That's where we are today. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer to make sure we are filled with the Holy Spirit that we are humble under the authority of the Word of God. Shall we pray? <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and the blessings we have to assemble together. We ask that your Word would not be limited or impaired in any way. We ask for your hand of blessing upon our time of study. Set aside distractions. Open the minds of our understanding. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. We had a development for the first few verses, verses 1 through 9, which was point 2 in the outline. Proverbs 4 begins with a collective address to plural sons in the first nine verses. Took you through that. Then we went to main point 2, the middle portion of Proverbs 4. Illustrates the point when a son enters into his own generational accountability. And this is where um, the parenting is spoken of as being complete. I have directed you in the way of wisdom, but I'm done now. You've got to walk it yourself. I have led you in upright paths, but I'm done with that. You've got to walk it yourself. And it views um, a young man stepping into his own life. As it says in verse 10, the years of your life will be many. And in a generational sense, the young man is leaving father and mother and he's stepping forth to enter into his own life. And so uh, David has all the confidence and the assurance that the young man is going to do well because he's been raised right. He's been grounded in the Word of God and the Word of God is going to sustain him through uh, everything that he's got to deal with. All right, so we get down to main point three. I have the right slide. We're ready now to deal with verses uh, 20 through 27, introducing a concept that was mentioned in verse 18. So point three, the path of righteousness, or the path of the righteous, is expanded in a discourse on heart protection. I'm calling this heart protection, all right, because you're supposed to guard your heart. You're supposed to watch over your heart. And... uh, That's what we're dealing with in these verses. (coughs) I'm going to go as long as I can, and if we've got to stop, we'll stop. I really feel better than I sound. That's the worst part, is I feel great. It just sounds terrible. So I'm going to enjoy the class. You you guys are going to hate it, but (coughs) we'll We'll, we'll see how it goes. All right. Remember the contrast in verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. And there's the imagery there that, you know, right when you first wake up and the sun's just barely rising, it's still not very light. But it starts to grow and it starts to grow and it starts to grow until, man, the sun's right overhead. That shining yellow thing up there in the sky we haven't seen for a while now, but I guess we're doing better this week. And... uh, that's the nature of it. And so you want to stay on the path as long as possible. You don't just want to visit the path for 10 minutes and then go carnal again for an hour. You don't want to be in fellowship one day and out of fellowship for a week. Uh, that, that keeps you off of this path. You want to stay on this path longer and longer and longer and longer. You want to be in fellowship for a week and then carnal for an hour. In fellowship for two weeks, carnal for an hour. Okay. Make sure that the time in the light is longer and the time in the darkness is shorter. And that's the contrast. So verse 18 has the the path of the righteous. Verse 19 has the way of the wicked. And you can't be on both paths. It's one or the other. It's the nature of spirituality versus carnality. 
As First John says, you're either walking in light or you're walking in darkness. As Galatians says, you're either being led by the Holy Spirit or you're, you're following the lust of the flesh. Okay? It's an absolute issue. So this is the theme that was introduced in verse 18, and now it's going to get expanded in verses 20 through 27. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. <coughs> Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Well, I could use some of that right now. Life and health. Watch, oh, and, but notice the connection here with how your soul is doing, first and foremost, and the connection then with your physical health. Okay, Same thing that was introduced in, was it 2 John or 3 John? 2 John, right? Okay. Same thing, praying for physical health, but only in proportion to how your soul is prospering. Got to put these things in the right perspective. Verse 23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. If you neglect your heart protection, it will hurt. If you don't protect your heart, there are consequences. And so really, we can look at all the imperatives from verse 21 and verse 23. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. That's the shamer keeping. Remember when Adam was commanded to shamer, to keep the garden, to guard the garden? Watch over your heart in verse 23 with all diligence. See, you can neglect it. Just not being diligent enough is sufficient for the heart damage to be done. You've got to keep a watch on it. you got to keep a close watch on it. And the explanation is given for from it, Flow the springs of life. What flows from your heart? Either good stuff or bad stuff. We're going to see Jesus teaches on this. And uh, depending on what's flowing from your heart, uh, it's pretty well an indicator of whether you've been keeping it or not. You've been guarding it or not. You've been tending it or not. It goes on in verse 24. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Put devious speech far from you. So uh, we start with a heart. It doesn't stop there. Because whatever condition your heart is, is going to show up in your mouth pretty quickly. Right? You wouldn't have a deceitful mouth or a devious speech if your heart was right. Same thing with your eyes in verse 25. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Well, it sure is a lot easier to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, if in fact your heart is already knit to him. If your heart is adjusted properly it will be a natural consequence then, easier to keep your eyes where they belong. If your heart is poisoned, don't be shocked and surprised if you're having a hard time keeping your eyes where they need to be, right? And then your feet. Your mouth, your eyes, and your feet. The feet in verse 26. And feet, you know, probably, yeah, we can keep it as feet. Uh, because there's your ways, there's your path. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. We should consider, though, that sometimes feet is a, is an idiom. It's a euphemism. And sometimes Hebrew will use feet for below the belt. All right, And it's a representation of, uh, of your sex life. It's, an, it's in some passage. I don't think it's the case here, but we should at least consider Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Turn your foot from evil. All right, so that's what we've got to cover, 20 through 27. And uh, if I have a voice to cover it, we'll, uh, we'll do real well. Yep, cool. All right. As was seen in Proverbs 2.2, attentive ears and inclined hearts are the attitudinal prerequisites. If you were with us in chapter 2, you've seen this point before. Attentive ears and inclined hearts are the attitudinal prerequisite to receiving and treasuring. So it's not surprised that this paragraph is going to begin with the twin imperatives from verse 20. Make, uh, give attention to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. If you're not eager to hear, if it's just a ho-hum exercise, you're going to blow it off anyway. We've got to have the attitudinal prerequisite. 
the eagerness, as it says, to be slow to speak, but swift to hear. We all should be swift to hear. There seems to be a lot of James connections this morning. Proverbs 2.2. 2. Remember this? <coughs> because verse 1 is an if. My son, if you will receive my words. You know, you got a lot of doctrine you want to ground your kid in, but what if you don't want it? If you will receive my words, and if you will treasure my commandments within you, well then, here's the steps you got to take. It's an attitudinal prerequisite. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Can you tune your ear? Can you train your ear? Can you develop a sense where your ear is ready to hear from the Word of God? And if not, why not? (laughs) What's it going to take for you to develop that sense of eagerness, that sense of excitement, that that sense of uh, wonder when, ah, according to His promise, and all of a sudden it's like, food, God's going to be feeding me today. It's time to get fed. It's time to learn. It's time to grow. The creator God of the universe is, is, uh, is speaking to me today. That should be the sense of eagerness that we have an ear that has been tuned, that is ready. And then incline your heart to understanding. And, uh, and we understand what it means to incline, to, to lean something up against something, to, uh, to aim it that direction, don't aim it the other direction. Incline your heart to understanding. You know, are you here? Are you eager? Are you in the edge of your seat? Or are you lean back, falling off your seat, bored to tears? All right? Which way are you inclined? So, we've already had it. Uh, we have it here in 420. It will, the concept comes back again in Proverbs chapter 5. My son. Give, in fact, that's how the chapter begins. Verse 1 of Proverbs chapter 5. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. So it comes down to uh, the attitudinal prerequisites. Okay, And it's tough, especially with child raising. You think, well, I need to ground them in the truth so that they have a good attitude. Actually, that's a little bit backwards. You've got to enforce a good attitude so that you can ground them in truth. And then the cycle repeats itself because once they are grounded in truth, then it, it, it perpetuates. They, the longer they stay on the path, the brighter and brighter and brighter the light becomes. But, man, if the, if the wrong habits are instilled, if the attitude is already trashed, if, if there's some soul damage that's been done, well, it's a tougher road. There's going to be a longer process. Okay, God's grace will still get it there, but it's just going to be some discipline along the way. There's going to be some enforced discipline along the way. Different... Uh, Different things that happen there. See, I did make little clickers for that. I'm learning how to do this better. All right, but we don't need to look at those. We just saw those, didn't we? <coughs> now, we have a follow-up pair of imperatives in verse 21, and they serve to follow up verse 20. So, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, Now it gets expanded farther than Proverbs 2 ever took it. Say, we've got a good attitude. We've fostered an eagerness. Great. Build on it. Don't just assume, hey, he's eager to learn. Keep an eye on it. A follow-up pair of imperatives stresses the follow-up mandate to paying attention. It's one thing to pay attention, but keep paying attention. Don't just pay attention for two minutes and then start to drift. You've got to pay attention and keep paying attention because it's so easy for these things you're supposed to be watching after to slip out of your sight. And you don't even think about it because you had such a great start. Yeah, I was eager. Well, for the first five minutes, I was eager. And then where did it go? <coughs> yeah, I was eager You know, for a month or two. Then where did it go? So we have a, this, it's really, it's an expansion from chapter two. I'm convinced that you've got the, the eagerness concepts and now we've got, don't let it go. Do not let them depart from your sight. 
you know, you just kind of, you start making assumptions, right? When, uh, you know, I mean, you're out there on the rec yard and you counted your inmates and uh, you counted them when they first walked out and say, okay, I got, there's 46 inmates here doing recreation. And uh, the plan, of course, is that when recreation's over and you return them to the cell, that you've got the same 46, right? And if you lost one, you better <coughs> find them or get a substitute just to keep the numbers up. But what you cannot do, though, is make an assumption that, well, I counted them when they came out. Keep counting. Periodically, do another quick count. Periodically, just keep track of where all of them are. Don't let one escape from your sight. Do not let them depart from your sight. Because you think they're just, yeah, they're just they're playing basketball, they're lifting weights, they're running, whatever they're doing. They're enjoying the fresh air. And because you got inattentive, just assuming that they're all still there, and then all of a sudden you realize, man, we're approaching the end of the hour, I've got to put these guys up, and you start looking around, and man, I'm missing three of them. Where'd they go? Okay, that's not good. And spiritually, what do we do? We do the same thing. We do the same thing. We used to have, how many Bible verses did we used to have memorized? How many do we still have memorized? How many concepts do we used to know? I'm kind of rusty on that now. Perishable skills, okay? And if you let it go, where does it go? How do you get it back? All right, so do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, in the middle of your middle, in the core of your core. It's like the, the center of your center. In the midst of your heart. Now, the heart is already the midst of you. So, in the midst of your heart would then be in the midst of the midst of you. Right? That redundant? That's supposed to be. Okay? <clears throat> in the midst, the of your levav, of your, of your heart. Now, I think I expand upon this. I do. I forgot to bring my notes this morning, so every time I click a slide, I'm just as surprised as you are. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Do not let them depart from your sight. Don't let them. Don't let them. Okay? Because unfortunately, that's what they want to do. And it's not that they want to because they're evil in and of themselves. It's just the nature of them. And our nature as fallen creatures. I love the passive imperatives of do not let. Do not let sin reign over your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Don't let it. Okay? It wants to, but don't let it. I think it's, it's almost like herding cats, right? You got these, you got 20 cats and you're trying to keep them all in the same. Yeah, good luck with that. Okay? especially the little playful kittens that want to run around and hop everywhere and do all that. (coughs) (coughs) So do not let them depart from your sight. This imperative describes the nature of God's word to disappear and be forgotten once the eye loses sight. That's the nature of it. Now I'm hoping it won't be the nature in in glory that that with the new nature, that the unfallen nature, that... um, the idea of looking at something and then looking away and forgetting, that thing's going to be gone because we'll never actually look away. We'll be eternally, you know, with our Lord. But in any event, it's described here in this way back in chapter 3. Let me flip back to chapter 3. <coughs> My, verse 21, same, yeah, 321, it's not a typo. 421, we're comparing to 321. My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So just vanishing from sight. Where do they go? Man, they were just there and you looked away for just a split second and then you turned back and where'd they go? Doesn't take long, does it? Doesn't take long. That's why Hebrews warns us not to neglect the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. Because if you start missing, it's easier to miss more. All right, and so they start to vanish from your sight. James chapter 1. 
verses 23 through 25. Take a quick look at it this morning, and then whatever I get wrong, uh, Dan can fix on Sunday night coming up. But see, I think the 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 uh, the real danger in getting your eyes off the Word is if you limit your um, observation of the Word of God to the intake, to the study. If the only time you're looking at the Word of God is when you're learning it, that's a problem. Because we're supposed to be doers as well as hearers. And as we do the Word of God, it's, it's still in our eyes. It's still in our view. We're still watching. We're watching what the Word of God does as we apply it. We're watching the faithfulness of God in action as we live the Word. And so I, I don't think people lose track of the Word so much as while they're in Bible class. They lose track of the Word because they're not living it in their daily life, in their personal application. And that's when it vanishes from their sight. It doesn't vanish from their sight when you're sitting right here. It vanishes from your sight when you're out there, not living it. And so it says, if anyone is a hearer, well, backing up to verse 22, prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. And that's the problem. If all you're doing is learning it, not living it, then you're lying to yourself. And we're commanded not to do that. Okay, Even a verse prior to that, verse 21, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which... Notice, able to save your souls. It doesn't just automatically save your soul. It doesn't just uh, do something because you learned it. That was painful. Sorry about that. So it doesn't say learn the word of God that will automatically pass every test for you. Right? It is able to save your souls. Am I back on? Okay. Able to save your souls if you make use of it. So prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You know, and I think back to my last 10 sins, or however many, I'd like to think that far back. But however many, you know, just think back to the last sin you committed. You knew better. I knew better. I didn't commit that sin because I didn't know the doctrine. All right. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, verse 23, and not a doer, this is what we're talking about with losing sight of things, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And once he has looked at himself and gone away. All right? And this is the difference between sons and daughters, right? The son, you're lucky if he glances at the mirror for three seconds and then, you know, gone, starts his day long enough to brush his teeth and shave and whatever and gone. The daughters could be in there for hours. And it's just because there's makeup and there's tweezers. There's, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff. And so they, they stare at the mirror for a longer period of time. At least as I understand it. But here's the problem. You look at it once and say, okay, I know what that's like. And then he's gone away. He has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Because truthfully, when he looked at it, he didn't spend a lot of time looking at it. He wasn't really that interested in it. Glanced at it long enough to say, okay, I got that. And off he goes. Much more involved in his own life, his own business, his own thinking. Okay, But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, So he's not just a quick glance, but an intense stare. He's looking at it intently, and he's abiding by it. He's living it. He's dwelling in it. It is now shaping how he conducts his life. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Blessed, right? We talk about, I don't want to wait to the Bema seat to hear the eulogy from my father. I want to hear the eulogies today. I want to hear the eulogy all day, every day. You know, it's that encouragement that keeps you going. It's the, the voice of your dad behind you while you're on the bicycle saying, you got it, you're doing it, you're doing it, 
You're doing it. Keep going. Keep going. And and somehow you're still balanced. You know, you haven't toppled. And the little voice is behind you saying, you're doing it. Good job. Yeah, keep it up. Keep it up. Okay? We ought to hear the eulogies day by day, moment by moment, if we have the ears to hear, if our eyes are fixed on him. All right, so that's what we're looking at there. Do not let them depart from your sight. Because, boy, they will if you, if you let it. If you let it, they will. I think that's the nature of the do not let imperatives. If, if you don't stop it, that's what's going to happen. Like if you're not renewed in the spirit of your mind, what's the consequence? You're going to be conformed to this age. Romans chapter 12, it's just an automatic. That's what happens in this fallen world. Keep them. Keep them. Guard them. The verb is shamer. Keep them. Guard them in the center of your center, the core of your core, the heart of your heart, the bethok of your lavav. Okay? Because the heart is already the center of who you are. And here are some verses we want to spend some time with. These are all passages that speak of your inner man, that speak of the real you, that speaks of the the core of your being. And uh, sometimes the term is heart, sometimes the term is inner man or innermost being. There's different expressions, but the concept is, is that it's entirely within you. It's in that place that only you and God know about, and his word gets there. His word gets there. Satan can't get there. That's why he has to poison the, the gates that will seep into there. All right? That's why he can poison the eyes and poison the ears and allow the, the heart to be affected the way that it is. So keep them in the center of your center. Job thirty eight thirty six, Psalm fifty one six, Proverbs four twenty one, that's our passage today, along with Proverbs twenty twenty seven. John 7.38. That's an interesting text too because not only does it talk about the soul or the inner man, but it also talks about a stream that flows forth. Okay? Similar to what Proverbs talks about. Romans 7.22, 2 Corinthians 4.16, Ephesians 3.16, and everybody's favorite, Hebrews 4.12. Okay? Why do we know Hebrews 4.12? Because that was Pastor Theme's call to worship for 50 years. And again, that sense of eagerness when you, when you hear that, uh, that call to worship. And you immediately know the word of God is live and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joints and, met, uh, and marrow, and as a critical judge of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So you hear, you hear the colonel growl that out, and you know, man, it's time for Bible class. I've got to get serious. And I better not drop something or you know, I'm going to get yelled at. Okay? Yeah. I dropped a pen one time. When I was growing up, we, we would host conferences once a year. Pastor Theme would come to Seattle every March, and he would do Monday through Friday, double sessions, five nights, ten total sessions. And, uh, and yeah, I dropped my pen one time. And, and I'd already been briefed. I'd already been threatened. I'd already been, I was more afraid of my dad than anything else. But, um, yeah, I, that pen stayed there until after class was over. And <laughs> I fetched it afterwards. All right. Keep them in the center of your center. Job thirty-eight thirty-six. <clears throat> it's interesting here. In Job 38, God is rebuking Job for his arrogance, for the rebellion, because Job started to assign wickedness to God when he was defending himself. And so the young man, Elihu, had to offer some wisdom, and now God himself is uh, rebuking him here. Oh, and there's so much in this. Basically, the whole chapter is God saying, here's all the stuff I do. Do you do this too? Are you, do you help me when I do this? Okay. And it is just a long, long diatribe. If I had the voice for it, I would read the whole chapter to you this morning. But the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, 
Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, Job, you don't know what you're talking about. And your ignorance has not shut you up yet. God says, I'm going to shut you up. Gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you and you instruct me. You really, you've been trying to put me in my place for these 37 chapters. Not quite, because Elihu gets introduced earlier. But <coughs> says, all right. You think you know more than me? <laughs> what do we say? Put on your big boy, big boy pants, right? Gird up your loins like a man. All right, I'll have a seat. You teach me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? I don't recall seeing you there, Job. Because I'm the one that did this. Tell me, since you have understanding, or if you have understanding. Who set its measurements? Since you know. Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? Anyway, all of these things. How about the sea? How about the ocean? Are you in charge of the ocean? How come when the ocean comes up to the shore, why does it stop there? Why doesn't it just sweep on over the whole continent? Why does it stop at the shore and then roll back into the ocean? Obviously, that's right. God says, I planned it that way and I was able to get it done and you don't know how I did it. You weren't even there when I did it. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? Obviously, Job, can't you just snap and make the sun rise? Anyway, all of this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is its place? There are dimensional portals from earth to heaven and earth to hell. Clearly, Job, you've got to know where they are. Are you in charge of the snow? How about lightning? How about frost? How about the stars? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of, uh, the cords of Orion? You look at the stars and you see the constellations. Why are they in that shape? Why do they stay in that shape? And if you wanted to tomorrow, could you rearrange the Big Dipper to look like something else? Okay. God says, I can. You're obviously not much of a God there, Job. All right. And so it's in this... What's the verse I'm headed for? Well, I got all lost. Who has put wisdom in the innermost being? You know, the Orion and the Pleiades, the stars, the all of that's pretty impressive. But what about your soul of the human being? Who has put wisdom in the innermost being or given understanding to the mind? Who's in charge of that? That's why I think it's so arrogant and boastful and demonic and satanic. All these experts that think that through psychiatry and counseling and all these things that we can we can unlock, you know, we can unlock the deepest parts of the mind. Really? The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? God is the one. God is the one that can work with that inner man. All right, so there's the text there. Psalm 51.6, David in his confession. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. comes after the fact that he's a sinner. I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Alright? Any of the surface level gnosis, any of the just the factual information that you kind of learn and, and don't do much with, alright? That's not what God loves. That's not what He desires. He wants you to learn it to, to, to soak it in, to absorb it, to take it as deep as you can get it. Not just gnosis, but epinosis, full knowledge, right? Sophia, wisdom. You want to embrace it. It wants to be like we have in Proverbs 4.21, in the innermost part of your being. Keep it at the center of your heart. 
planted down deeper. How, how deep is it now? Not deep enough. Okay? What does it say in James? With humility, receive the word implanted. Well, how deep does it got to get implanted? Okay? Don't just lay the seed on top of the ground. Although in Uganda, you can kind of get away with that. But in most places, you got to bury it down deep. Proverbs 4.21, that's our passage today. Proverbs 20.27. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. There's a concept for you. Searching all the innermost parts of his being. So you think about a floodlight, you think about a lamp, and you're searching. God says he uses your living human spirit, the spirit of man. It's the lamp of the Lord. Obviously, it's only applicable in terms of believers. The unbeliever has a dead human spirit. Searching all the innermost parts of his being. You know, think about it. We've got different scopes. You can, these lights here are great for lighting us up externally. But if you want to look down an ear, you've got to get that little, what do you call that? The autoscope? Or look up a nose. Doctors have other things they can kind of snake down your throat and look different places, okay, with little lights. Searching the innermost parts of his being. Think about that. Think of God's capacity to reach the core of your core, the very center of who you are. <clears throat> John seven thirty eight. Here's Jesus teaching. <coughs> Talking to the woman at the well, talking about the true water. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Is this limited to a New Testament church age reality? Or has this always been the case? Has it always been that born again believers in Jesus Christ with a living human spirit have a flow? that will impact the people around them, okay? Well, I think we're going to see it in, in Proverbs 4. We're going to see the flow. We're going to see the, um, as it says, uh, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Okay? That's uh, Proverbs 4.23. That's not a church-age believer there. That's a born-again believer from an Old Testament standpoint. Anyway, I think some of that too we'll have to discuss as it pertains to um, convictions. All right, what is what is are, are we in our evangelism? Is it coming from our core? Is it coming from our heart of hearts? Is it coming from our innermost being? Are we allowing that living water to spring forth from us with such a, a zeal and such a, a, a as it says begging you to be reconciled to God for the sake of Christ? Or are we less interested in that in our evangelism? I mean, we yeah, we kind of give a gospel, but eh, you know, we're not really invested or passionate about the process. If they reject it, it's not crushing us. I think that's a problem. Anyway, we'll discuss that as we get into the flow. Uh, Romans seven twenty two. I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Here again is a picture of our innermost being. A picture of the real you. The real you. And that's important because there's that internal battle that's going on. Romans 7 is describing this no good thing that's within you. And you've got a sin nature within you. Thankfully though, you've also got a new nature that's been placed within you. And now you've got the battle to choose which one is going to be in charge. Which one do you submit to? Which one do you feed? All right. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. And that's the thing. If you don't internalize the word of God, how well are you going to do against that, that uh, sin nature that's already been internalized? You were born with that internalized. That's already a part of your being. 
So you just want to have some surface level information, some light and fluff gnosis or whatever. That's not going to transform you. That's not going to be internalized. You need the law of God and the inner man to internalize. All right. Well, more on that. We taught that in Romans chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 4.16 <clears throat> Therefore we do not lose heart. But though the grass pollens are making your voice crack, you've got all kinds of mucus in your nasal passages, that's all right. Because our inner man is being renewed day by day. The inner man is renewed day by day. And I find it interesting. How does that happen? How does that work? You know, renewal. It's a renewal without death. Our bodies are renewed in a way, but they die to renew, right? The skin cells slough off, and then new skin cells are formed. Hair grows out, nails clip off. We're, We're constantly, this dying body is constantly dying. And we gradually slough off the dead parts and Except the new parts. I read up on this. I don't remember now. Of the frequency with which basically it's a whole new you. Okay? At least in terms of your skin cells and the surface stuff. Okay? The outer man is decaying. The outer man is decaying. Is that a consequence of the fall? Or has it always been designed like that? Well... I think Adam and Eve were told to eat before they fell. So that tells me there was a digestion process before they were sinners. Anyway, I think they had hair. I think their hair grew. Had they not become sinners, they would have had haircuts, right? They would have clipped their nails, okay? I suspect before they sinned, they were losing skin cells. That's not a consequence of the fall. The consequence of the fall is their spiritual death. The death of their human spirit and separation from God the Holy Spirit, separation from God. That's the consequence of the fall. Not animal death, not plant death, not skin cell death, not food consumption and execration, none of that. Not even physical death. Adam and Eve died physically, not because they were sinners. They died physically because they were expelled from the garden and did not have access to the tree of life. These mortal bodies have always been mortal, even when they were sinless. Different things we can talk about there. All right. There's the inner man being renewed day by day. And that's a great thing. Because if you think about it, I know believers that are pretty feeble physically. They're up in their 80s. I know a lady that was 106. Feeble like you wouldn't believe, physically. But she got saved when she was 10 years old. She'd been in the Word of God for 95 years, almost 96 years. How mighty do you think she was? When she told me she was praying for me, I said, "Ah, I like that. (laughs) Pray more. Ephesians 3.16. So this is where the power is going to come from, too. It's a prayer that Paul offers up. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, and this is a divine provision from God the Father, (coughs) in response to prayer, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. Why do you want the Word of God in the inner man? Because that's where the power is going to come from if you've got the Word of God in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. All right? The inner man. It's mentioned here. This is where the power is going to come from. If, of course, you've taken the Word of God and internalized it. You've planted it there. And then finally, Hebrews 4.12. This is the verse that that I use when I create my my visual diagram that visualizes the soul-spirit as a connected unity. 
The soul and the spirit are not true synonyms. They're not interchangeable. Sometimes they are used interchangeably, but they are not true synonyms. There is a connection between the soul and the spirit, which called here a uh, division, the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. So if you think about your brain or you think about your heart and you've got left side and the right side and you've got a membrane in between. <coughs> so when I draw it out, I draw the soul spirit in a circle, the soul on one side, spirit on the other side, and in between is that division. And the Word of God can pierce right there. And then in the, in the center of that line is the, is the core, is the heart, is the cardia. So the cardia then becomes the, the filter, the pass-through from the spirit into the soul. So the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing. Why does it have to pierce so deep? Can't we just allow the surface stuff? No, it's not how it works. It's got to pierce, and it's got to pierce all the way, as deep as it can get. All right. Thirdly now, point C. Back to Proverbs 4. (coughs) So do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Practical benefits to heart protection via the Word of God includes life and health. Practical benefits includes life and health. Now keep in mind, it's not an absolute promise. It is a general principle. Are there exceptions? Of course. The rain does fall on the just and the unjust. And even Bible-believing Christians get sick. Okay, But as a rule, those who are practicing the Word of God on a heart protection basis are going to have physical consequences to their spiritual discipline. And those that have no such spiritual discipline are going to have physical consequences for their lack of spiritual discipline. And in some respects, it's just simply the reflection of of the heart attitude, of how well the soul feels. And if your soul spirit is healthy and strong and fixed on Christ and just jazzed as anything, then it's amazing what that attitude will do in your physical health. And you may still have some physical issues, but it's not dragging you down because your soul is still fixed on Jesus Christ. On the other hand, You could have some kind of trivial, minor physical health stuff. Really no big deal, objectively. But because your attitude is so poor, what happens? Oh, it just just rolls downhill. It just just magnifies. Your poor attitude makes this little problem to be so much worse than it truly is. And then you start beating yourself up, and you start blaming God, all these other... It just cycles downhill, doesn't it? We already talked about this back in chapter 3. You will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. And, and I discussed the, the uh, context for that and discussed the, the uh, snares. If you break your arm this afternoon, go to the emergency room, right? Go to your doctor's office. Go see medical personnel who can put a splint or a brace or a cast or deal with your broken bone. Proverbs 3.8 is not a license to, uh, you know, sit in a Bible class and memorize a verse and somehow fix a broken bone. Not what this verse is talking about. Uh, It'll happen again in chapter 12, again in chapter 13, again in chapter 16. We see benefits. Maybe that wasn't the right verse. 1216, 1218, healing. One who speaks rationally like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Think about it. Why is it that just the soothing voice of mommy and the child feels better? (laughs) Wow. My mom could fix anything, right? Any boo-boos. Okay. The tongue of the wise brings healing. And even not just moms and little kids, even on an adult capacity. 
the words of wisdom, encouragement from Scripture. When a brother comes alongside and highlights something from the Word of God, and you go, wow, I needed that. Thanks. There's a benefit in that. That should be 12.18. Okay, it is 12.18. Interesting. 13.17. Proverbs 13.17. A wicked messenger falls into adversity, but a faithful envoy brings healing. And there it is again. It might be something that hurts, but you need it. So he's going to deliver it to you because he's faithful. A faithful envoy brings healing. And it may not be a physical healing either. It could be a spiritual healing in each of these contexts. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. Proverbs 16, 24. Proverbs 16, 24. All right. So these are the practical benefits. I think... We're going to have to come back to the watching and the flowing under D. We'll pick up on this next week. Because everything that was said in verse 21 is now going to be restated in verse 23. The admonition to watch over the heart is repeated from verse 21 and it's intensified in verse 23. Not only is the command reissued, but the explanation comes of why it's so significant. What's the consequence if you don't? Because from it flow springs of life. Springs of life. So if you're not watching it, what flows then? If it's not life that's flowing, what's flowing? If you've allowed your well to be poisoned. All right, well. <coughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to go ahead and stop now. It's 10.52. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this time together. Ask for your hand of blessing on this material. Ask uh, for your hand of healing on tonight, Father, that you'd give another hour's worth of voice to give uh, a message this evening that's in your hands, Father. Just thank you for being so faithful. And uh, whatever else you choose to do with the grass and the pollen and whatever else is going on out there, that's, that's in your hands too. We're not complaining, Father. We're just looking to see what you want to do with it. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.